0: Hey, uh, Jordan and Ken, uh, it's, it's great to see you guys again. Uh, thanks for, thanks for joining me here in the, the conference room. Um, yeah. really, honestly, I just wanted to check in with you too, because it was a really rough week out there, I think for, for everybody. And, uh, we don't really like, you know, we cover the news and cover things that are going on, but I don't think we... We don't really let on that it affects us, but I feel like it does, right? And I just wanted to just wanted to bring you guys here and check check in on you, basically, see how see how you're doing and how you're coping with uh, with some of the some of the stuff that went down this week. How's that? How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're you know we're people too, and uh, the listeners, you you all uh, probably have your you know challenges and difficulties in life, and we're no different. Uh, you know, we also this also has been a trying time for us, so this is really your chance to sort of see. Uh, you know, the, the, I think humanity that, that everyone has, yeah. it's not just, you know, we may look big and tough here on Mount Olympus as we, you know, uh, issue you your episodes, but, um, we go through things right. just like anybody else.
2: Yeah. I'm just, you know, taking it one day at a time here. Um, not the greatest week, but you know, yeah, some ups and downs. I think the downs really outweigh the ups, but you know, hanging in there. So thanks for checking on me, Rob.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, I think that's important. In fact, uh, Judy from HR recommended that I get you guys together to uh, to talk about this with you, just to make sure everyone's kind of everyone's kind of mentally uh, doing okay, because we can't really do do the the quality work we do if we're not you kind know, of firing on all cylinders. But so I got a little something I was working on here. Um, just wanted to show you. Uh, it's kind of an open letter that I was hoping maybe I could get you guys to sign on to, because you know the threat of of cancel culture. Uh, is something that I think I'm going to take responsibility for this. I haven't treated it very seriously. I haven't really taken it very seriously. And, you know, this week when the three of us as, uh, you know, uh, people with blue checks on twitter.com were silenced, uh, mm. for at least like two, three hours there.
2: Oh, don't remind me.
0: Yeah. And anyway, so I just have this open letter that I want to send to, uh, to Jack over at Twitter to denounce the the kind of uh climate of you know anti-free speech that's being cultivated there when you have vital voices like ours being being silenced like that so I thought we could just sign this open letter and send that over to them and hopefully that could start some movement start a conversation about the rights of of blue checks and and how we can make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen again
1: You know, Rob, I'm glad you did that because there's really, a, you know, as you know, media can be a bit of an echo chamber and there's so much talk right now, Portland, Portland, Portland. And, you know, there's more to the world than that. Um, There are blue checks, there's Twitter, there's um, blue checks on Twitter uh, and what we can and, and unfortunately for a number of hours can't say. Uh, so it's important that, you know, we don't exercise, you know, this sort of laser focus on 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 one thing that may affect a certain group of people and overlook a whole nother uh, constituency when we do that.
2: Yeah, I, um, I think um, we all will remember for a long time where we were when we saw the wave of tweets about how, how happy everyone was yeah. that the blue checks couldn't tweet. Everyone um, was making fun of us. Yes. And, you know, really showed the divide, the us versus them dynamic.
1: It was a Pearl Harbor sort of event. I feel like, for a lot of, it's like nine eleven. When you say, "Where were you?"
2: Ken, you're saying this is your nine eleven,
1: and Pearl Harbor, both of those at the same Combined. time, wrapped Yikes. up, wrapped wow, up into shit. one kind of thing. It was really wow. what it was. Um, Interesting. So we're sort of living in the kind of with the post nine eleven period. It's not just that moment; it's that everything that follows it. Um, is, a, is a consequence of that. So we're, we're in a post, uh, what, what would we call this, a post-Twitter hack era right now. Oh, my
2: goodness. Well, yeah, I think the, 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 the influence this will have on discourse going forward, the knee-jerk uh, reactions uh, and analysis and response, I think we have to be cautious. Uh, this is a seismic event, for sure. And I, I think that we saw, at, like as you alluded to 9-11, we saw the Patriot Act being rolled out and the rollback of Civil Liberties. I think the effects this will have on discourse on Twitter we cannot overstate it. This is going to be cataclysmic.
1: Yeah, as with 9/11, just you know what I would say the best thing you can do as a patriot is go out there and retweet us cuz when you stop retweeting us that's when the terror and the hackers in this case win. You don't want to let the hackers win.
0: hello everyone hello and welcome to the insurgents it's episode 30 i think 31 uh yes it out. is episode 31 this thank is like you for joining Dan, I can't us remember
1: his kids his kids names yeah <laughs> it shows you how important they are <laughs> they are to him
0: i would never i would never do anything like that uh okay but uh, it's a pleasure to to speak with you two again yeah, we're all recovered from the, the traumatic events of this week with the the blue check, uh, free speech violation. So many listeners of this show actually making fun of all of us, which was not really appreciated, but okay, I guess mm-hmm. that's fine.
2: I guess we see who our real friends are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, or enemies in this case. Mm-hmm. I think that could be it. Well, you know, yeah. I
1: think some of the most interesting people in history—they're sort of forged in the f- uh, fires of adversity. So, I think we're going to yeah. come out of this, um, you know, stronger, <laughs> more, more resilient people.
0: Yes. Um, okay, so oh, we've got a great uh, show. The rest of the show coming up. We talked with uh, Akela Lacey from The Intercept, uh, which was which was excellent. She's going to be coming on in just a few minutes. We're a little bit pressed for time, so we don't have a we don't have a ton of time for this intro here. But we wanted to bring uh ken back i guess in violation of the ban once again the ban you know which is frustrating for everyone we know we understand this but ken you you were breaking some pretty big scoops this week so i feel like it was there i had a few people in my menci saying it was maybe a possibility that we should think about scaling that back so i wanted to bring you on to talk about some of the some of the big scoops from
1: this week always happy to violate the equivalent of the fec uh, regulations, which yes. you probably could just walk all over and nothing nothing happens. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, in this case, so it was um, federal agents are operating in Portland, um, arresting people, and they not only are moving around in unmarked cars, but in several cases, uh, they themselves are wearing military fatigues uh, without uh, clearly identifying what agency they're with.
2: Does this have anything to do with the the, the cryptic voicemail? Uh, message that you had tweeted about several days ago. There was that you, ca- you called uh, CPD, and it was like if you're part of the uh, what is a civil disobedience operation, press 79 or whatever. Civil disturbance. Uh, was w- was this connected to that weird voicemail message?
1: Um, sort of in theme, yes. Which is that um, when you talk about ICE, which is where the voicemail message was from, that's part of Department of Homeland Security, uh, which in the case. We now know in in Portland a number of these arrests are being carried out by Border Patrol, which is another um, subcomponent of Department of Homeland Security. But unfortunately, it's sort of like a a, a separate scandal because ICE wasn't involved in this. So that's a whole another separate kind of dystopian uh, thing going on. <laughs> but similar similar sort of like response to uh, all of all of this is a response to the civil unrest. So this but this was Border Patrol in this case, and they were using what's called BorTac. Uh, was carrying out some of the arrests and this is kind of like the SWAT team or like special forces uh, portion of Border Patrol and it's really amazing that they're using this to arrest what according to the videos is just uh, you know seem to be individuals protesters They certainly aren't armed or anything like that because uh, these guys are kind of the elite segment of uh, Border Patrol in that um, they're wearing camo because that's what they do in the field. They're kind of supposed to go out into the desert, and maybe the, if there's some cartel activity or something like that, they're supposed to track them with like night. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll have night vision or, um, you know, things like that. So um, this is a very high level of sort of force uh, for the federal government to be bringing to bear on uh, what, as far as we can tell, are just demonstrators.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the really kind of disturbing things right now is that. You know, you had this, these initial uprisings start, and it was obviously a big media story, uh, and then there was this kind of odd thing that happened where it seems like the media truly really tried to move on from this, the news cycle sort of tried to move on. That's the fucked up thing, is that these protests have still been ongoing in Portland and, and all the, a lot of other cities, and not only are the protests still going on, but like the police violence has not let up. Um, And then we're seeing situations like this where these these like kind of Gestapo like uh, secret police are just snatching people and throwing them into vans. And I think if you've read any amount of history about certain, uh, you know, about this kind of stuff happening in previous countries, that's got to be sending off massive alarm bells uh, for for seeing that kind of stuff. And I think one of the one of the weirdest things for me, too, was like, you know, you're you're seeing this happen. It's very terrifying, Uh, you you know, to think about America kind of going down that road. And incidentally, a lot of these, like, libertarian, don't tread on me uh, conservatives who are, you know, against any time the government does anything, it's like this oppressive uh, uh, communist police state thing. It turns out uh, when the actual police state stuff starts happening and you have secret police out there uh, snatching people... They're actually okay with that. They, they don't mind at all. I thought that was kind of interesting. Interesting little
1: uh, element to all this. Yeah, and also this kind of states' rights thing you often see Republicans bandy about. Um, in this case, you have the federal law enforcement uh, being brought to bear on what are essentially local issues that there's no reason local police can't handle, assuming even that it's true that there's any sort of property destruction going on. That should be something local police should be able to handle. So um, the very fact that they're using these uh federal agents to do this stuff this is pursuant to president trump's emergency declaration um in re- it's called his executive order on and i'm quoting protecting american monuments memorials and stat and statues in statues uh, and combating recent criminal violence that's what the executive order was called so in response to that the department of Homeland security which contains within it border patrol they created what's called a <laughs> but you can't make this up protecting american communities task force or pact for short and under that Task force, that is where they're drawing the authority to um, send these uh, federal law enforcement agents. uh, In the case of Oregon, apparently in uh, contravention of the wishes of the uh, mayor and uh, many officials in in the state. So that's another sort of interesting, I think. contrast to what you hear about a lot of rhetoric about you know states rights let's get the federal government off my back and now we literally have federal agents that were not requested and it seems like don't are not wanted there um, running around uh, trying to run things.
2: And, and beyond just kind of the silence and, and inconsistencies from libertarians and civil libertarians, you and I talked about this the other day Ken um, the, the DHS and all of this is just this, this as an apparatus is is new it is a it's a post 911 institution and people just like seem to f- like fail to recognize that and we t- we like we get mad at trump about this but really i mean we think about like how how we got to this point it was bush created it obama really ramped it up didn't do anything to stop it and then they just handed it to to trump and it's just like we, we were we were joking on the phone the other day about like you know they're just you know bush sets up the tee and Obama like you know places the ball on the tee and guides Trump to it and Trump you know takes a take a swing at it all of these institutions and tools and and, and everything all these mechanisms were at his disposal and everyone's like hey yay hey don't don't do that like knowing that like this was the risk all along like we've had this risk facing us for 20 years and nobody really sought to fight back against it in a meaningful way other than like Actual activists and and organizers on the left
0: Yeah, and when when these activists and organizers or the journalists that did follow this stuff when they spoke out uh, It was always like oh you're being a crank you're being you know, you're you're supporting terrorists You're you know, you're against the troops you're against the government uh, But I think that's a frustrating thing if you've been watching this develop for the last 20 years is that a lot of the time You know in the in the post 9-11 period when it comes to the the wars that were starting or what these civil liberties that were being taken away the you know what people were saying at that time the people that were against this kind of stuff is like it's not just the bad guys that were this is going to be used on this power it's not just going to be exclusively limited to this one group maybe right now it will um it's but in the end it's going to start enveloping more and more people and that we're like we're seeing the result of that now and that's why it's frustrating because a lot of the people that were speaking out against it at that time were kind of dismissed as being cranks and weirdos uh but now they're being completely proved right um but it, it that doesn't really help anyone that's being caught up in this system um and, and i think that's another disturbing thing like you mentioned obama it ramped up all these things with biden right there with him and people are kind of saying like oh you just need to vote you just need to vote for biden to in order to kind of fix this we don't have we don't have like these crazy uh secret police trampling people's civil liberties but I see no evidence that Joe Biden's going to come in there and, and come in there and make it any kind of change to the system or make it better, uh, because he's been complicit in all this, all these like really uh, ruthless and oppressive uh, police state systems being created in the first place.
1: Yeah, I mean, they te- it's just like Jordan said. They teed it up, and then Trump comes in. I'm thinking like um, Happy Gilmore with the hockey stick and just knocks it out of the yeah. <laughs> not just the golf course, but out of the um, county or something. Um, yeah, I mean, we have President Obama saying, "No, don't boo, vote." And, you know, that can be a part of any solution, but it's like, uh, you know, guys, at some point there is a bipartisan uh, consensus because of, you know, um, defense contractors, the legal apparatus that exists um, around this post 9-11 system. And that, you know, has to be rolled back. And I don't see how you're going to do that um, with, you know, uh, the a lot of the same two parties that have been behind a lot of it so yeah at some point we're going to have to contend with this and i mean what we're seeing in portland just is the perfect illustration of the open-ended and uh kind of limitless nature uh, of this national security apparatus because so in these talking points that have been linked to me which were really the backbone of the story um, these were cbp talking uh customs and border protection talking points it describes um how they intended this originally to just last for the fourth of july and they hope to you know rein it in after that of course we're well past the fourth of july people don't realize this but this has been going on for weeks it's only just now that this has become a national story because you know footage leaked out of um people in these unmarked cars people are pretty shocked by that but um this is how it goes you know they they make a sort of inform as, as long as as long as the oversight is essentially um, run by the same agencies that are carrying this stuff out, um, you know they're gonna often just do this indefinitely, and that's that's what those talking points showed is that not only um, can this be conducted indefinitely, but they don't even say where it's taking place, and they cite op, quote unquote operational security for why they can't say which cities these place uh, these these types of operations are going to be carried out, and then um, in addition to all that, there's uh, the, the talking points mentioned that. Um, they are, you know, they have drones ready and waiting for for um, when when they're requested. So um, I mean, it's amazing. They can't even provide a sort of time frame for how long this is going to be. It's just like indefinite, and you don't know where, and you don't know with what means either.
2: Um, yeah, I, I I think about how dangerous things are going to get and how bad things are going to get based off like you know the Axios report where we're recording this on Sunday night. But the Axios reported like an hour or two ago where now the Trump administration is trying to uh, go forward with just blanket (laughs) declarations. And, and, um, you know, they're going to start instituting new regulations and rules and act without legal authority uh, to enact new policies. And they said they're going to start with with immigration, because as we talk about later on with uh, Akela, when, it, when you start with communities like that on these types of things, you're going to have the least amount of pushback because, you know, they're some of the most marginalized people among us. And privileged and comfortable people aren't really going to worry about that. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know what? that just shouldn't be here. And they'll always find ways to justify this kind of stuff. So on the heels of now uh, an event in Portland where unidentified uh, armed officers are throwing people in unmarked vehicles, and from what I hear from people who know people there... Taking their phones and not giving them back, so they're they're just snooping through your your data and your contacts to see who you're talking to and coordinating with um, to infiltrate those sectors as well. Uh, and now you're going to start to see this type of uh, approach on immigration. Where do people actually think this is going to end up? Do you think they're yeah. just going to spare you? Do you think they give a fuck about you? You're next. Yeah, uh, and that's that. That's
0: the really disturbing thing is because we're just I think. When you talk about this kind of stuff it's just only scratching the surface of, of where this could possibly go and the ugly places that this could possibly go it's not like civil unrest in america or anywhere else is going to be going away anytime soon uh, you have the you have the the current crises going on which is which is uh driving a lot of the civil unrest uh and these protests uh but then you have this you know all these these contradictions are just going to continue uh getting worse uh, over the next decade and we are going to get closer to climate breakdown and stuff uh, none of the none of the kind of civil unrest is going away, and in fact, it, it's going to have to expand drastically. And that's the kind of disturbing thing because we're I think we're just kind of barely getting to the beginning of this. You know that the sort of ruling class, whether which is I think a bipartisan thing, uh, you know they've been thinking about this kind of stuff for a while. You know they have a plan for it, like you said, Jordan. It's it's not just going to be, you know, it started with just we're targeting you know uh, extremists and and religious extremists and Muslims, and that's it's just going to be limited to that. And then it's going to be, you know, it's that circle just kind of continues expanding to include more and more people. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see any easy way that people are going to, like, be able to uh, overcome that, especially when it seems like there's kind of a bipartisan consensus that seems to want to continue going forward with it, regardless of who's in charge.
1: Well, I don't know if you saw, but um, the Republicans, they have the uh, payroll tax cut coming up. So that might help a bit. <laughs>
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Sweet. Never. Well, maybe. maybe I'm being paranoid. By the <laughs> way, who's the fucking guy that's like implementing this? Isn't his name like Chad Wolf or something? Oh yeah, Ed Wolf. This, this is not yeah. a real person. Come the, on.
1: This is not a Constitution real person. And, and the, the Virgin Constitution and the Chad DHS uh, uh, chief.
0: <laughs> like, it's become a cliche to talk about like, hey, uh, can you turn 2020 on and off again or something? Or the, <laughs> the simulation is breaking. But like. Give me a fucking break. Chad Wolf. Like, are you, do you, anyone expect me to believe this? The writing of this season is getting incredibly lazy now. And it's like this, they're pushing the, the limits of what's believable here with this fucking
1: guy. Acting secretary of DHS. He wasn't even confirmed by the Senate. Um, so that's the, that's the, that's reality. Now it's so many national security appointments that are just acting people. They leave in there that never, this, the, even the Senate that the, you know, the gossamer thin, um, protection that we have for for um, kind of con- congressional oversight of of the na- of the national security apparatus. They don't even get Senate appointment in many cases anymore.
2: And we joke like, yeah, sure, okay. Um, the The tax cut's coming up, but underlying that, like, there is an element where enough people will be placated into silence. You know, there'll just uh, there'll be enough people in America who just like. Yeah, things are tough. We just have to do it. You know, immigrants, they shouldn't be here. They should just follow the laws and come in the regular way and this and that. And it's like, you know, the government's clearly working because, you know, they're helping me. That's like all it'll take. It's just, you know, just a little bit to satiate them, that they'll just turn a blind eye. Because if they become upset too and aggrieved, then you start to have that kind of class solidarity. So just enough to keep them satiated into silence. That's the, that's the approach.
0: Anyway, this is one of these situations where I'm glad that I'm in the in the the uh, utopian, uh, progressive, uh, you know, uh, post-racial uh, wonderland of Canada, where we don't have any we don't deal with any of these things. Same... Oh wait, actually, I'm being told that we have multiple Nazi monuments in this country. Wow, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of messed up. Hmm. Damn, did you guys see that that
2: story? I did. Uh, I had to do a double take pretty, on the headline, but
0: yeah, pretty messed up. <laughs> Pretty messed up, but yeah, um, that is why I, you know it's why important. It's important to talk about this stuff in America, where you know, on a on a micro level, I think Portland right now specifically, and maybe some other communities are kind of like ground zero for trying out some of these tactics. I think eventually you can see that going national in a lot of places in the United States, but it's not going to be limited to the United States. Uh, there's going to be civil unrest here as well. I think people are very placated here, but. Uh, that's not going to last forever, and that's I think that's why it's it's important for everyone to be aware of this stuff, like uh, regardless of where you're coming from, because uh, I think you might see this, you might think that this is like a uniquely American thing, or it's never going to come anywhere else, but um that's what i'll keep saying i mean as, as we get closer to climate breakdown we're going to see more and more civil unrest everywhere in america in canada the uk france where, wherever you, wherever and there, there's already structures being put in place to to deal with that uh, violently in many cases like in in, in canada uh, in in alberta they're passing laws where it's like if you pa- if you protest the oil pipeline you can be lumped in as like a, a like enviro terrorist basically and have all your Jesus civil liberties stripped away uh, so that's why I think it's important to focus on this, uh, regardless of where you are, cause it, this is, this is coming to everyone's community. I think this kind of violent pushback to civil unrest, uh, the sort of ruling class, not just in America, but, you know, but everywhere, uh, who don't really have, they were kind of not really constrained by borders in the same way. Uh, I think they know where everything is going and they're putting systems in place right now to deal with the fact that, that, uh, not everyone is going to be on board with this. And, uh, that's why we have to be vigilant. And that's why we have to, to talk about it. But uh, it's very scary. It was really scary seeing some of the footage uh, from Portland this week of, of these, like, uh, fucking Gestapo uh, freaks, uh, you know, snatching people off the street. Yeah, like like people have pointed out, a lot of these people were released. You know, they were driven around in some cases and photographed. Or they were brought to a, a cell and then they were read Miranda rights. So there's still kind of like an element of legality. Surrounding that uh, that whole process, but I don't think that's something that we can count on lasting forever. Definitely.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well,
0: should we uh, get into our conversation with Akela? Yes. Uh, we're running low on time. We're not going to do a, a feedback corner, thank God, this week because I'm, <laughs> I'm so sick of that. And there's so many new reviews now, and they're all so just like the very mean, uh, often calling me wrong names, making fun of the fact that I'm Canadian. Really awful. So I'm, we're not going to do any of those this week. We will, I'm sure we will again, but, uh, so before we go though, I'll just remind everyone, if you want to leave a review, you can do that on Apple podcasts. Um, you can subscribe if you haven't already over at the Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. You can find the voicemail number in the show notes. And I believe... That is everything. Thanks for joining us, Ken, and thanks for uh, breaking down your, your scoops. Kenny Scoops, that's what I'm going to call you now. Then we will be back in just a moment with Akela Lacey.
2: We are joined by Kayla Lacey from The Intercept And Kayla, we usually start off these, these conversations with a little small talk And that typically revolves around gaming But for you, you had quite the experience today You had um, to take an Uber from Philly to New York before this, um, before this interview <laughs> what, <laughs> Why and what was that like?
3: Uh, Why? Because I am not good at planning transportation. And uh, (laughs) basically, we were trying to come back from Atlantic City. Uh, We were like there for just a a day over the weekend. And I was in Philadelphia last week with my mom. Um, So I met my boyfriend in Atlantic City. We were planning to take the bus we get to the Atlantic City bus terminal, and it's literally like a 100 people in a line waiting to get on one bus. Oh. the guy in front of us in line isn't wearing a mask, looks like he has the bubonic plague, and we were just like, all right, this is not a good idea. So we were going to try and take a train, um, but our friend had just dropped us off. So he swung back around and drove us out of his way all the way to 30th Street Station in Philly from there we were going to try to get a train but it was similarly crowded and i was just like i mean at this point we're going to spend the same buying a train an amtrak ticket the day of so we found a kind person who was not wearing his mask properly um and drove with the windows down from (laughs) philadelphia to new york and that was the majority of my day (laughs) Oh
2: my! so
0: (laughs) it's like the opening credits to the fresh prince of bel-air
3: Honestly, except you end up in a disgusting, dirty city where everyone has a a virus.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So it's not exactly like it, but I guess there's similar elements, I
3: suppose.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The longest Uber ride I've ever had was like maybe an hour to like the airport in Baltimore. And that was just weird. Just felt very awkward because you've, you know, you run out of things to talk about with a complete stranger pretty quick. Yeah. And, uh, I, I guess I'm curious, like what as the hours went on, like what what's going through your head, like what 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 is what are you doing to keep keep yourself occupied other than the I, stare at your phone?
3: Honestly, I was really tired, so I was kind of like I just closed my eyes, but I was like, wow, what if the driver passes out from the heat because it's so hot in here, <laughs> <laughs> and like what if he falls asleep, like what if we get in a car crash? <laughs> Basically, oh, I just spent my time worrying. Um... <laughs> and then uh yeah we had to pull over for gas and he left us in the car and he was like i trust you guys not to steal <laughs> nice. my car and i was like i mean what That's are we good. gonna do <laughs> drive your
2: car away from you so uh yeah 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 what's your uh, so well i'm happy fun. that you took the commitment question.
0: to do this podcast seriously enough that you had to take this long thing just to make sure you got in there in time it's very oh
3: no it's it's, it's very moving right. I- I needed <laughs> to get, I, you know, I, I, you guys are special, but I, I needed to get back. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what were you saying, Jordan? You just, I, I think I interrupted
2: you. I th- yeah, I think there's a lag. Um, I, I think, think so. At some at some point, there's just there's a delay, so I think we're stepping on each other. I'm trying to wait to see who talks before I. Okay. Um, I guess my final question on that is uh, what 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 rating? did you give the driver five five <laughs> you, stars five stars All and,
3: right,
2: and a hefty tip yeah <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. But on, on a serious note uh kayla we wanted to have you on because you've been doing really great reporting on uh, how coronavirus is impacting the most marginalized uh, in our society and you just had a piece this week about how coronavirus is affecting uh, the prison population do you want to give the listeners kind of an overview of, of what you found
3: yeah so basically uh this jail in Houston, in, in Harris County, Texas, uh, is home to one of the largest incarcerated populations in the country. Um, and they, the jail has the capacity to hold 10,500 people. Currently, there's just under 8,000, um, the vast majority of whom have not been convicted of crimes. Uh, and the court that deals with this jail In Harris County, has been dealing with a backlog of cases since 2017 after Hurricane Harvey uh, shut down the courthouse for a year. Um, So, they are in a unique situation in that there are thousands and thousands of people in this jail who are there basically because they can't uh, afford bail and they. And there is a, an advocacy group that's been consulting for the, the county there for the past five years uh, that estimated that, one, the jail's population will eclipse its pre coronavirus numbers by Labor Day uh, if they continue to keep, take people in at the rate that they are, um, and that they... Aren't going to be able to get through the current backlog of cases for the next year at least. So there is essentially no hope for people unless advocates uh, litigate on their behalf to to get them out of out of the jail. Um, also, the number one reason that coronavirus is increasing in ge- inside the jail right now is that they're continuing to arrest more and more people after previously having cut the the jail population by, you know. 1500 uh, between the peak of of the coronavirus epidemic in the jail uh, at the end of March and and early July.
2: When I see things like this, it's, it's just another stark reminder of how barbaric and callous our society could be, where it's just like we have people who are stuck in one place. They can't get out. And this is supposed to be an apparatus that helps people learn from their mistakes. And we want to use this allegedly to correct people and help them re enter society. But in practice, it ends up being just a, a blunt instrument to further suppress people who, you know, may have already been subject to socioeconomic factors that led to their incarceration. And now we're just like further inflicting them with this type of like ignorant, callous approach to a pandemic. It's just, it's just. It's so disheartening. And I think this reporting like this is really important because at the end of the day, like these are just people, you know, they, they might have fucked up. They might have made mistakes and some people may have done heinous things. But like as Brian Stevenson wrote in Just Mercy, it's like no one's defined by their worst mistake or shouldn't be. And when we have, you know, a system where there's, they, you know, thrown to the wolf, so to speak, it, it, I don't know. I want to say we can be better than this, but we just don't seem to, to be capable of it.
0: Yeah, and, like, it's true, too, that, like, you know, this this is the kind of conversation that comes up whenever we talk about uh, abolishing the police or decarceration or any of these kind of more radical approaches to criminal justice. People say, like, well, what what are you going to do with all the, the murderers and rapists and stuff like this? But it's so reductive because it's not like the people that are languishing in these prisons right now are all violent criminals. Many of them are not violent at all, uh, or just in there for nonviolent drug crimes. Like you said, like you pointed out, Akela. There's many people that are just haven't even been convicted of a crime in, in, a, in an actual court and are waiting to get bail. So it's like, it's just, it's so uh, barbaric and it speaks to how, like you like you said, Jordan, the idea of prison is supposed to be this rehabilitative thing, but that's never really been what it's about in America. It has to be like maximum punitive and it's about, you know, punishing people and, and for, for whatever these mistakes that they've made. Um, but then when it's, when it's combined with this really terrible health crisis and it's, it's really dangerous for people, uh, it kind of kind of takes on this extra level of sadism to, to continue to subject people to that.
3: Yeah. And to add a third level of sadism, if you will, the governor basically threw a wrench into what could have been a, a model example of advocates and law enforcement officials, you know, Kind of unsuspecting characters working together to actually cut the jail population rapidly and stop bringing people in unnecessarily, um, and using, you know, discretion and logic uh, to determine what you really need to be arresting people for in the middle of a pandemic, while the city is seeing a second COVID outbreak and and officials are calling for a second lockdown. Um, the governor, Governor Greg Abbott. Um, issued an executive order at the end of March, basically that halted release, um, you know, the county judge and the local sheriff were calling for quote unquote compassionate release of, of large number numbers of people um, dismissing cases, nonviolent uh, cases that were older than six months. Um, the governor's order framed that release as not only a, uh, a public safety issue, but a public health issue, basically saying that in order to continue to help, you know, Keeping COVID down, we can't release people, which on its face makes absolutely no sense. I mean, the jail was stamping out its its uh, its outbreak, and it's now ticking back up. Obviously, they're bringing people in from a city that is is continuing to to see new infections. Um, but also, this idea we're seeing replicated in New York City. Also, you know, officials basically saying, "Look, like okay, you want to let people out of jail? You want to defund the police?" Well well, you're just gonna have crime then, um, which there's no evidence that suggests that increasing the number of incarcerated people in a city decreases crime. Um, there's plenty of evidence to show that that causes detrimental harm, gener- intergenerational harm in, in ways that are unforeseen at the time that you're you're taking someone into into jail. But the idea that right now during a pandemic that you're gonna leverage people's fear when, you know, Tens of millions of people have lost their jobs. Um, it's summer when you know. I'm not saying that crime is is increasing in any meaningful way relative to the past 20 years, but generally, cities in the summer, it's it's known that there's going to be an increase in crime. When you pair that with a pandemic and a massive unemployment crisis, it's it's disingenuous and, frankly, you know, it's disrespectful to you know constituents to to be saying you know, we see all of you coming out in the streets, working together, trying to create progress and thinking about ways, you know, to not just say defund the police or or cut the jail population, but re- repurpose those funds for for community uh, and social services that could actually replace um, some of the punitive systems that we've seen applied to, to issues that are not criminal. Um, they did that in Los Angeles after a. You know a couple of weeks of it looking like they were just going to increase the police budget um community activists and and city officials were able to cut the budget um i think by like 150 million dollars um and re re uh, funnel that that those funds to, to community services for job training and and youth support um so you know it, it there is progress happening and then unfortunately stories like this get more coverage and, and are replicated more often but um the la thing was a huge win
2: so you you made an interesting point akela about the you know the rise in arrests in the summer and then that's going to be further compounded by the pandemic which is displaced you know orders led to the, the, the like millions of people losing their jobs because of companies just recoiling and, and putting their profits first or taking the paycheck guarantee, bailout money and just laying off people. And now we have mil- like what is it? half the country is out of work, a third of the country can't pay their housing payments and we're seeing evictions resume after a moratorium on them. We are spiraling toward a moment where millions of people could potentially be homeless. And we're going to see a rise in how some people frame or call uh, survival crimes, which is, you know, petty, uh, sh- like theft or shoplifting uh, to stay afloat, to feed yourself, to d- just to survive, and, or, or, you know, pitching a tent in a, a public space. And we see how the police has responded to poverty just in general. And we see how they've kind of raised homeless encampments and we we see how they uh, harass and arrest people experiencing homelessness and just, you know, criminalize poverty in general. Now when we have a system that already treats people in those situations as subhuman, as criminals, and they thrust them into this system, like you laid out at the beginning, wardens and prison guards don't give a shit and the state generally does not care about people uh, in those systems. This could effectively lead to for, through no fault of their own, could effectively be a death sentence. If they are stealing to stay afloat or, or feed themselves or you know provide for their family, get caught, get arrested, whatever allegedly resist arrest and then end up in, in jail and catch coronavirus, they could die. Like this is a very real circumstance and when we have millions of people suddenly homeless and fighting for survival. I mean this is what it could look like it's absolutely disgusting
0: yeah and just to compound something you were saying jordan there was a story that came out just this week about a someone who stuck up a bank in houston and left a note for the teller that says i didn't get a stimulus or that 10k loan i lost my business to COVID." and who knows if that's just an excuse or or if that's something that he was that he was using to uh, to justify it but i don't think there's any doubt that as people become increasingly desperate we'll we'll see plenty more of that kind of stuff and yeah that's there, there's no real system in place to confront that. No one in, in either party seems to uh, concerned with helping any of these folks that are being completely left behind. And um, yeah, now you're faced with a situation where you could see a, a large increase in these kinds of crimes, which is going to increase prison populations. And it's just going to continue this, like this health crisis in these facilities. So it's like a kind of a feedback loop that could become very, very dangerous.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. And in addition, you know, these kinds of, the the criminalization of poverty is a longstanding issue that's compounded by the pandemic, but we're also seeing increased criminalization of the, of protesters and protesters being charged with terrorism in New York, you know, 87 people charged with felonies in Kentucky protesting for Breonna Taylor on the attorney general's lawn. Um, It's just an insane, use of resources um at a time when people are already at their wits end you know both financially and mentally and emotionally and um as you as you mentioned congress you know <laughs> has been not even really willing to lift a finger we were told that there were going to be a series of stimulus checks throughout the summer it's been months since people got that first check um and People are still continuing to lose their jobs. People are also being forced disproportionately to go back to work and risk themselves. Um, People who are already struggling the most uh, financially right now, uh, low wage, part time workers. um, You know, it's just, and as states continue to like reopen and then decide that they want to shut down, people are just being thrown back and forth into limbo. And uh, Congress right now is you know, and the White House is, has signaled that they're, you know, they're, you know, quote unquote, working on another plan uh, where there will hopefully be another round of stimulus checks. But that's really not going to do much, particularly with the the looming housing crisis, which is already, you know, there's massive evictions in, in New York and, and Philadelphia happening and um, several, uh, I don't want to use the word homeless encampments, but um, several communities of, of people without housing were evicted um you know over or there were plans at least to to evict them in large in large swaths over the weekend in philadelphia and all this stuff is getting kind of lost in the noise um with you know with stuff like kanye's presidency like you know his his run for the white house or whatever and just like you know this chris wallace interview with trump and um i don't know it's crazy like just the the cognitive dissonance between what's actually happening to people right now and what uh, the media class is kind of uh, consumed with
0: yeah I mean that's something in America that's a that's a common problem (laughs) right the media focusing on this kind of sensationalized garbage instead of things that are important but I feel like that contradiction is so heightened now because of how how important the the these large-scale social movements are and how how high the stakes are um, with this this impending uh, housing crisis and, and all these various crises intersecting it's like it's heightened even more the fact that they they still can't help themselves but focus on this kind of sensationalized uh nonsense than than anything that might actually like matter to, to actual human beings uh Kayla, has there been this is something i've been i've been curious about um and haven't seen much reporting on it I was wondering if i don't know if you have any information on this I don't want if to be on the spot or anything but uh, you've been talking about prisons and the 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 effect of uh, COVID nineteen in prison populations. Has there been a lot of reporting going on about like the immigration detention facilities throughout America? Because this was something that I think when this crisis was really kicking off, this was one of the first things that occurred to me. Just like, oh, these are these these the conditions in these facilities are already really terrible, of people being kind of forced. Um, in close proximity with one another. There's a lack of hygiene because of the lack of resources that are given to these uh, facilities and the people running them. And it just seems like there's, there there's really a terrible possibility of these, pa- these places basically turning into death camps. Yeah. Um. So have you seen any, any reporting on this or do you have any information about what the, the, the state of some of these facilities are and whether they've been dealing with uh, some of the same kind of uh, issues as the, the, kind of uh, the prison system
3: so I saw reporting on a kind of like speculative reporting about how this would impact uh, immigration detention centers in the beginning of of the pandemic you know around like March and early April I haven't seen a lot on what the current state is and I think obviously the immigration system is uh, in a lot of ways very similar and, and intertwined with the with the criminal justice system but the it's it's the detention centers are more opaque in some ways than uh prisons and jails and i think right now uh given that people are a lot of people are reporting remotely a lot of people are reporting in the field too but um at least in my limited uh knowledge of of the world of that reporting space like i haven't seen a ton uh recently but you know i can confidently say that it's probably not great like they as you said yeah. like and and this is the issue with with prisons and jails also like the health systems in immigration detention centers are you know often privately run there's not a lot of accountability within the centers themselves and when you're talking about vulnerable populations without the means to uh, you know not only get their stories out to the to the mainstream media but even you know, getting advocacy and and getting help when you're in the center, it's it's just heartbreaking how difficult it is for people to to find uh, representation or or people that they trust in order to help them. And so, I think that has a lot to do with uh, why why immigration coverage at least uh, suffers in those yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's something that I find really alarming. Um, because, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's already hard enough to get information about what, what is happening in some of these, these uh, prisons, which are filled with still American citizens. And whereas you have this, this network of uh, immigration detention facilities that are filled with basically non non persons, right? They're not, they don't have citizenship. Um, and it, frankly, I, like there are people, I believe in the Donald Trump administration and the Republican party who are happy to just let nature take its course in these places and and don't really care uh, what happens to these folks or if, if anything or I would almost like prefer that many of them just would go away yeah um so that's I mean that's that adds up to something really scary and uh I'm not sure I don't know what the answer is I think that's something that maybe everyone should start asking more questions about I know everything's there's so much going on right now Um, but I, I do, I am a little concerned that there's, there's a lot of people, especially young people, vulnerable people in these facilities that are just going to slip through the cracks, uh, without anyone having really any idea what happened to them. Uh, it's a it's a really scary proposition.
3: Yeah, it is. And I, I also think, you know, there was some, I saw some, some immigration reporters talking about this on Twitter, you know, in the past couple months about, you know, what's happening to all the unaccompanied children that are now you know still languishing in a lot of centers um like you mentioned earlier without proper places to sleep or or healthcare. already there was there were a lot of sicknesses and deaths even predating the the pandemic and in detention centers that were not seen in in the you know the quote-unquote free world population um uh, and also the the idea that we treat people who aren't american citizens as, as subhuman and not privy to the rights uh, of a healthcare system or that a lot of uh, citizens don't yeah. even have access to. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that.
2: That's the, you know, that's kind of the natural flow of this type of oppression. It's like people are, it's much harder to defend uh, someone in prison, especially for a heinous crime. And even when we saw the death penalty uh, resume this week, uh, the Supreme Court a couple different cases voting five to four to, uh, you know, allow the the execution of different inmates to occur and it started with a guy who was you know a, a convicted of a hate crime he maintains his innocence I'm not saying either way whether I know for sure but he maintains his innocence and he was you know probably a white. He looked like appeared to be a white supremacist and they started with that one and um, I was talking about this with John Ida on TYT earlier this week it's like that's a really tough one to ever defend Because the guy is a racist and he killed somebody, allegedly killed somebody. That's hard to justify. But then you go past him. What if it's somebody for, you know, a violent drug offense? What if it's then somebody who has a non-violent drug offense? Then what if it's somebody, as we've seen in so many different states until recently, was convicted as a minor? And then you start to, like, struggle with those arguments. But because you didn't start at the onset saying, no, 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 this is just a barbaric practice in total... It's way harder to kind of differentiate between different cases. And then when you like apply that to a broader audience, like a national populace, you know, people become just more accustomed to it. And these types of things start small and start with the most marginalized. Here it's inmates and just disregard for people's well-being because they're inmates. Then it's, you know, then it's immigrants. And then it's community one, community two, community three. Then it starts to go from there and just a progression so we have to stand up as 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 difficult as it may be to justify or as unpopular of an opinion as it may be you have to stand up for these communities because that's just where they start and they re- and and, and uh, oppressive forces rely on people's silence when it happens to those communities because they know it'll be difficult for you to to stop it later on
3: when you were just listing the number of like the succession of of i guess questionability when it comes to execution cases like then you get into wrongful executions um, and yeah. and executing people yep. without, uh, you know, who who don't test. You know, you take an IQ test, which we can we can save everything that's wrong with that for another conversation. But like, <laughs> yeah. and are are yeah. deemed you know not not mentally competent and are are being killed. And and when when you put that all within the context of everything that we've been talking about, that like. What our judicial, our federal judicial system is putting its efforts into right now is like restarting the state, exe- state-sanctioned killings, uh, when they could be trying to maybe release people from prison. Like the jail population is plummeting across the country, but the prison population is is staying pretty much the same and increasing in a lot of places. And that is also something that's not really being covered, um, again because the system is really opaque, and you know people it's the the difference between jails and prisons is unclear and and people are uh people just fall into this kind of black hole and then you don't know what happens to them but um yeah it's 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 crazy also to see people in in the towns where the executions are taking place like coming out and protesting them um amid everything that's going on right now like that's another subset of of protests that um could be getting could be getting more coverage but it's the kind of thing where media access is limited in a lot of these cases and when there's everything else going on like the number of reporters that are going out to an execution you know in the middle of a state that they're not from is is pretty low as it is so uh Mm -hmm. it's it's really devastating when you when you think about it for long enough
0: i'm kind of interested too in the dichotomy between you know these conversations about the death penalty Uh, Is it moral? Is it not moral? Should it be illegal? Should it be uh, legal? And, you know, that's obviously an important discussion. And, you know, that that needs to continue. And and what is happening right now with these executions being restarted on a federal level is obviously barbaric and terrible. Um, But it's also kind of odd, too, in the context of these larger uprisings against police violence, which is that whether or not state sanctioned executions are illegal or not, you still have this massive system in place where state sanctioned executions take place every single day on the street where you have police officers that are able to just act as judge jury and executioner in one moment uh, because they feel their life was threatened and you know so many people are killed that way each year and uh it's it is kind of odd to me how you know it's it seems like the conversation about the death penalty and that that really terrible and oppressive system are kind of separate when really that should all be part of the same conversation. Like if we're, if we don't agree as a society that there should be a death penalty and these state sanctioned killings, well, then we shouldn't give your fucking high school jock uh, guy who's became a cop six months ago, the ability to just execute whoever they want complete with complete impunity and no legal repercussions. Uh, it seems like that should all be part of the same conversation. You think, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm against that, personally.
3: But, you know. Oh, God.
0: I think that is bad.
2: Uh, so we're, we're a little pressed for time, but one thing we really wanted to get your take on, uh, Ak- uh, Akayla, especially with the recent developments today, uh, you've been doing some writing and, and thinking about the Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy race, and I just want to take a second and acknowledge that today it was revealed but Joe Kennedy has been the victim of uh cyberbullying terror uh, at the hands yeah. of the 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 Marquee Marauders. Uh yeah. just the equivalent of Bernie Bros Marky Marauders recording it yeah. here. Um what what what's your take? What's your read on this?
3: Yeah, this race is really <laughs> I've been trying to wrap my head around it for a couple months now. Um and yeah, we're we're working on some some reporting on it, but um I think because the lines are not, the, the lines in this race are so much blurrier than they have been in any other recent, you know, high profile Democratic primary, um, that the left is like, on one hand, so incensed and disgusted by the prospect of another Kennedy, you know, being elected to, to higher office. Um, and this this idea of like, you know, not to use my words, but nepotism, which has been a word thrown around. Um, in coverage of the race, and then Kennedy kind of being—I will use the word—that's fine. Okay, <laughs> Kennedy, <laughs> like you know, feeling like he's not getting a fair shake from the left, um, and also at the same time feeling like there are areas of Markey's uh, record that the left would be going harder on were he, were his opponent not a Kennedy. Uh, but this whole this whole Broadway thing is wild and there was also another recent fundraiser where like uh a bunch of celebrities and like sarah Borellis or something were supposed to be i don't know if it was the same if it was the same broadway thing but like a bunch of people dropped out um but i mean honestly they don't have a whole lot to throw at marky if i'm being completely honest like that's gonna get people's Mm -hmm. attention at this stage like given where the endorsements have fallen and like Kind of where where the left has has decided to to fall in, in line as far as like you know sunrise supporting um, Markey and like you know a bunch of other lefty lefty groups coming out in support of him or at least against Kennedy. Um, so it's. It's it's hilarious on one hand to say that Joe Kennedy's campaign was cyberbullied out of a Broadway fundraiser, uh, but the race, <laughs> the races is it's it's interesting. And, and, you know, there is something to be said for uh, Ed Markey, you know, being a much older member of, of the Senate and, and kind of like jump. You know, he's always been a pretty stalwart uh, defender of the environment and, and kind of like. He did kind of jump onto the Green New Deal thing, but that wasn't like, you know, much of a pivot necessarily as far as his record is concerned. So um, and and Kennedy has kind of made a name for himself aside from the fact that he, he's a Kennedy um, as kind of not the most uh, supportive of of certain like, you know, Progressive Caucus priorities or, you know, primary challenge endorsements. Um, neither neither has Markey in the past. So. You know, you can say that about both of them, um, but yeah, it's it's really up in the air, which is not usually, I mean, there's still, what, it's there's like a month and a half, um, so that's, that's normal, but I feel like when there's a Kennedy in the race, like obviously he's pulling ahead and polling and with name recognition, but it is, it's pretty unclear what's going to happen, and this election cycle has been one of the craziest I've ever seen, so we are in for some treats, I think. <laughs>
0: it, it okay. is one of the funny things like in response to this whole cyberbullying thing and, and it's been kind of part of his line like uh, the people in this constituency they're looking for a new kind of politics and it's like sorry your name is what again I can <laughs> it's like the new the new blood right. yeah we need a really fresh perspective from the fucking third generation political dynasty that's been ruling America for decades and generations right. great yeah it's news get average, some new blood in there
2: average Joe
0: yeah just average Joe Kennedy running as third. an underdog <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's a little bit preposterous.
3: <laughs> Just slightly. Uh,
2: Akela, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, where can people find y- uh, you online and your work?
3: Thank you both for having me. It was fun. Um, so you can find my work at theintercept.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is Akela underscore Lacey, L-A-C-Y. Uh, and I tweet all of my stories. I probably tweet about some other stuff that you don't want to read, but that's okay.
2: (laughs) Awesome, awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. You're gonna have to come back another time when we have less like technical glitches and weird stuff going on too. Yeah,
3: I I'll get my shit together next time. But yeah, thank you guys for inviting me on. It was fun. Of course, thanks.
2: Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at insurgentspod. Tweet at us, harass cannon in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening.